Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial Agcast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I am Brady Byrne. I'm an associate professor of agricultural economics here at Purdue University. And joining me today is Michael Langmeyer, professor of agricultural economics and the associate director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture here at Purdue. On today's episode, we will be covering inflation, interest rates uh, in the agricultural sector, as well as the cost of production um, that farmers are seeing on input prices. Now, uh, Michael, this is something, you know, we, we've covered inflation and interest rates uh, in several past podcasts. So this is, you know, part of this is we're going to see an update to some of the numbers that we've given uh, previously. So I want to start out with just the general, what we're seeing in the general macroeconomy on inflation. And then I think we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some farm-specific input numbers. So the the Bureau of Labor Statistics has released the August 2022 inflation rate, and it came out at 8.3%. So just as a reminder, this inflation rate is what consumers paid for a basket of goods in August of 2022 relative to one year prior to that measurement, so in August of 2021. Uh, This is down a little bit from the July uh, 2022 CPI uh, inflation numbers. In July, it was 8.5%, and July was down from June, which was at 9.1%. So while these inflation numbers are high, we are seeing them moderate and and, and even a, a little bit of a downward trend over the last couple of months. Uh, so, Michael, I want to, you know, ask you this. So where are we seeing the, the largest inflation uh, in agriculture? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what's happened here from 21 to 22, and then we'll talk a little bit about what may, be, what may occur in 23 uh, and relate that to break-even prices. The first thing I want to talk about is, is I've looked at percentage change in various uh, farm input prices from July 21 to July 22. Uh, some of the data for August is not available yet. Uh, and, and so that's why I'm looking at July 21 to July 22. If you look at inflation, as you indicated, Brady, uh, depending on the measure you use, it's about six and a half to eight and a half percent. All production items for agriculture have increased 15 percent. So substantially higher uh, rate of, of, of increase in farm input prices than inflation. Uh, of course, the big ones here that we all know about, uh, fertilizer and diesel. Uh, even though diesel has came down recently, if you still look at it uh, compared to July 21, uh, it's substantial. Also, uh, inputs like machinery, building materials, supplies, and, and repairs, all of these things were impacted by COVID uh, and also with, with general inflation. So they've also increased at a much higher rate uh, than the general rate of inflation. Uh, let's think about the, the, the big one uh, is fertilizer. And so if we look at fertilizer prices, they have came down uh, since spring of 22 but they're still stubbornly high, uh, particularly phosphorus and potash. Uh, Phosphorus and potash are are about the highest they've been in the last 10 years. They really haven't declined very much uh, throughout the year. Uh, And so that that certainly does not bode well going into the fall and and going into next spring. And hydrous, on the other hand, has been a little bit more volatile. Uh, It it was about two and a half times uh, the long run average in in, in early 22 or $1,500 per ton for anhydrous. It it came down a little bit to 11, 1200. And then recently, 
recently it's been back up to $1,300 per ton. And so we're not, we're not going to see a lot of relief uh, in terms of fertilizer prices uh, going into the 23 budget. And so that brings us to looking at break-even prices for corn and soybeans. I think we still got some upward pressure on break-even prices. Uh, the survey respondents on the CME Ag Barometer uh, survey, monthly survey, agree with me. Uh, uh, most of the people think that we've still got some uh, uh, increases in, in farm inputs coming in 23. Uh, it's all over the board. Some think, we're gonna, some think that the price is going to decline. Others think they're going to increase more than 20%. But a chunk of them are in that 1% to 10% range. And that's where I think break-even prices uh, are going to be in terms of uh, increases from 23 compared to 22. I'm expecting about a 6% increase in break-even price for corn and another 6% for soybeans. And that's about where I think general inflation is going to be. And so I think it's going to be more consistent with general inflation heading into 23 than it was in 22. Yeah, so we're definitely seeing some increase in the break-even prices caused by, by the increase in input prices. And I, and I do want to say real quick, uh, you know, obviously various farm inputs are being impacted uh, differently. Obviously the energy side, the diesel, uh, and the fertilizer are some of the most impacted on, you know, the increases in prices that we've seen. Uh, you know, one thing that may be of uh, interest for our audience, if you look at the broader economy, uh, the energy side is what has had the, you know, just like ag has seen some of the highest inflation. One of the things that um, I pulled out a statistic was that, uh, you know, I think we're, we're in September right now, uh, in October, we're getting ready for fall and winter here, and that is uh, natural gas prices. Those have been uh, raised a lot over the past several months, and many people may not realize it because we haven't turned on our heaters yet, so there could be, you know, especially for a lot of people living in the country that use propane or natural gas, uh, you're gonna see a lot more expense to heat your home uh, this winter. Well, so Michael, we've, you know, obviously inflation has, has remained steady, maybe decreased a little bit with ag, seeing some specific inputs that have had, uh, uh, you know, higher trends upward. Uh, but one of the things that I look at a lot, and I know we've talked about this on, on two previous podcasts, and that's thinking about how inflation is going to impact the interest rates and our cost of, of debt. And the first thing I look, look at is the FOMC dot plot. Uh, the, the Federal Open Ar Market Committee met here in September of 2022, and they re-released the, the newest dot plot. They only do it every other time they meet. And it looks drastically different from what we saw at the June meeting. So, uh, you know, they also raised interest rates, another 75 basis, or sorry, interest rates, the, the Fed funds rate, another 75 basis points. So this means we've now had three FOMC meetings straight with 75 basis point increase. The target range for the Fed funds rate is three to three and a quarter percent. And the median for Fed funds rate is around 4.4% for the end of 2022. So we do have two FOMC meetings uh, left to go uh, for the 2022 calendar year. Just to give some historical pr perspective, uh, when we talked about this back in June, it was a full percentage under where we're talking about now. So in June, it the target for the end of 2022 was 3.4%. So this means if we're at three to three and a quarter percent, and they believe we're going to get to around 4.4% by the end of 22. We, uh, we have two remaining FOMC meetings. 
we're gonna, we can expect to see two 75 basis point increase um, to close out 2022. And Just to put some historical context on this, Brady, we went essentially from around zero uh, at the first of the year to what you're thinking might be 4.5% by the end of 2022. So 4.5% movement uh, in 22, which is really large. And that, that puts us well over what we saw uh, before COVID. In 2018, 2019, we were at about 2.5%, and, and then COVID hit, and they took that in that Fed funds rate down to close to zero. Uh, it, it's taking us back a little closer to where we were in 07. Uh, and so that's what's truly amazing about the changes you're talking about here uh, is we've went from almost zero to something that, that we haven't seen probably since 2007. Yeah. And I, I think a big question I have here is, you know, we shared with you the, the general CPI index. And, and if you look at um, other indexes of, of inflation, whether it be the PCE index, you know, they may, it may show a little lower inflation. But regardless, we're still staying steady at, at that level. It's, it's moderating a little bit. And I think this is what's giving the, the Fed this expectation that we're going to see increasing interest rates through the end of 2023. Because so, they're still wanting to push that inflation rate down to 2%. And I think everybody knows, including the, the Fed, uh, the people on the Federal Reserve Board know that it's going to take more than a year. Uh, at least more, it's probably going to take a year, one to two years uh, to, to get this back down to 2%. Yeah, and the, you know, the voting members of the FOMC committee, uh, they're pretty much in lockstep. They all believe that we're going to see, uh, I guess there was one dissenter that doesn't think we'll see an increase of the Fed funds rate in 2023, but everyone else thought that we would see an increase in the Fed funds rate through, the, you know, through 2023. But 2024 is where you start to see a, a big divergence in what the voting members of the FOMC committee um, are looking at. There are some that believe that we're going to stay well above the 4% mark for the Fed funds rate, and then you have about half of them that believe we're going to be below 4 and then even a couple that believe we'll see a, a pretty significant drop in the Fed funds rate um, in 2024 below 3%. Now, I, I think this speaks to the uncertainty out there with what uh, we think inflation is going to do. Uh, you know, and, and Michael, I'll put you on the spot here. You know, I'm of the belief that inflation is probably here to stay at least for another year, probably two. I think three years is where I, I'm starting to expect the, the inflation to really get some relief, uh, you know, from what we're spent uh, from the, the increases in prices. And I think that's what you're seeing with uh, the FOMC committee is that they're also a little bit spread on when they think we're going to start to see relief from this inflation. So what do, what do you think? Are, uh, are, are you with the ones that think it's going to decrease in 2024 or are you with the ones that think it's going to be till 2025? before we start to see it. I've a, a seen decrease. a lot of forecasts that, that have a, a, a fairly wide range of inflation, anywhere from three to six percent. I think the three percent is overly optimistic. So I'll just I'll just point that out uh, for the next two years. I don't think we're gonna be at three percent uh, for the next two any anytime soon in the next two years. But I think there's a chance with the increase in interest rates uh, we have and if we don't increase federal spending uh, like we did during COVID, I think there's there's certainly a chance that we could get down to six percent uh, maybe in twenty three and then maybe a little bit lower than that in 24. But the, but the key thing here is it's going to take a while uh, to get this inflation down from what it currently is down to the, to, down to the Fed's target. Uh, and even when we get down to that target, you look longer run, let's, let's remember that a 0% Fed funds rate is not where we're going to end up. Yeah. Uh, their, their long run forecast, uh, Brady, I don't want to steal any of your thunder here, but their long run forecast is more closer to 2.5%. 
Uh, that's not extremely high by historical standards. If you look at uh, 73 to 21, for example, our, the average Fed fund rate was excess of five. And so two and a half is not, is not particularly large given that 50-year history, but it's still much larger than what we saw in 2020 and 2021. So 2020 and 2021 are outliers in terms of Fed funds rate and, and very low interest rates. Just keep that in mind, uh, that, that even if, even if the interest rates come up here and then come back down, they're not coming back down to 4 or 5 percent for ag, for example. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, so that's where the Fed is setting their Fed funds rate. But I, I think for the for the farmers and the agribusinesses out there that are listening to this, you know, I, I think the question you have is, okay, so what does that mean for me when I go get a, a loan at the bank? Um, and again, we've we've covered some of this data in previous podcasts, but we have new data here. The um, the Ag Finance Data Book, which was which is curated by the Kansas City Federal Reserve, they've released their here uh, at the end of August. They released their 2022 quarter two. Uh, data. And so when we look at the average fixed, so this would be a 30-year fixed farm real estate interest rate. Uh, the Kansas City district increased uh, in quarter one of 2022. It was at 4.78% in quarter two. Uh, so, you know, ending in June, it was right around five and a half percent. So we saw about a 75 basis point increase to the uh, fixed Farm real estate interest rate. Chicago saw a very similar increase, about a 0.8%, uh, you know, 80 basis point or 0.8% increase in the fixed interest rate uh, for farm real estate. Now, one of the interesting things, Michael, that I want to call out is when we compare this to uh, the overall mortgage rate. So, like the mortgage rate that the average consumer that would go out and get, you know, get a 30-year uh, fixed mortgage for a, a home loan. Uh, traditionally, the, the, the non-farm real estate market has been lower interest rate than the agricultural credit markets, right? So it's typically a lower interest rate. We've actually saw here in, at the you know, end of 2022, so this data goes through the uh, June of 2022, uh, we've seen that increase, right? So I, I said Kansas City was about a 75 basis point increase. Chicago was about a, an 80 basis point increase. The non-farm has increased well over 100 basis points or well over one percentage point. So it's actually being impacted by what we're seeing on the inflation and the Fed side a lot more than the agricultural credit interest rates. And given the difference in the, in the strength of the, of the ag economy versus the non-ag economy, I think that makes some sense. I mean, this kind of reminds me back of 08 when agriculture was doing really well because of the ethanol boom and, 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 and the non-ag sector was not doing so well. In fact, there was a pretty big recession uh, back during that time period. And so it kind of reminds me of that, uh, the, the non-ag sector, the, the, the U.S. economy. It's not doing that well right now. Um, and the stock market's down considerably uh, in recently, and, 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 but the general economy's not doing as well. I mean, low GDP last couple quarters and probably low GDP in, at least uh, for another quarter or two, perhaps longer, uh, where the ag sector's done extremely well. Uh, in, in 21 and 22, I think we're looking at record U.S. net farm income possible in 22 uh, from USDA ERS. And so, and so I think that divergence in, in how ag's doing compared to the rest of the U.S. economy is what's explaining this small difference in, in interest rates. Yeah, and I think that comes into play when you think about the cost of funds for these banks that are lending to agriculture. You know, obviously the farm credit system is a major player in the ag credit markets, a lot of small community banks um, as well. Uh, you know, and 
the, the, the cost structures of how they get funds to loan uh, to these farmers is, can be completely different than what we're seeing in, in the general um, economy. And I think that, you know, while I don't know explicitly how, you know, every bank can be different, obviously the farm credit system can be different with how they use bonds and other equity devices to, to obtain their, their cost of funds um, or if they get it from other banks. But I think that's playing, to, to your point, the general economy is impacting that and, and the cost of funds is, is probably, in, in my mind, lower for agricultural banks. Um, moving on now to the uh, fixed operating loan interest rate. So this is from 1991 to the second quarter, so June of 2022. Uh, when we look at this from you know, quarter one of 2022 to quarter two, it, it tells a very similar story to what we saw on the farm real estate side, though we've seen slightly lower increases for operating notes. So the Chicago has gone in, 20, in the first quarter of 2022, it was at 4.6%. That increased to 5.4% in uh, the second quarter of 2022. And then for the Kansas City, we've gone from about 5.21% to about 5.75%. So the Kansas City district has seen um, only about a 50 basis point increase in the operating uh, loan interest rate uh, through the first part of uh, 2022. Now, we do compare this to the prime interest rate. So the Ag Finance Data Book has not released their third quarter interest rates yet. So we don't have like the current Ag operating uh, interest rate for here for September and October. Uh, but what we do have is the prime interest rate that comes from the, the St. Louis Fed, the, the FRED system, and it's right at about 6.25%. And one of the things that I look at, Brady, and, and you know that this does this 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 spread does vary over time depending on the risk of an ag compared to uh, the U.S. economy. But over a long period of time, 40, 50 years, uh, the operating interest rate for ag is about one and a half percent above the prime. And so the prime is 6.25 percent uh, at the end of September here, towards the end of the September. You add a, a percent and a half to that, you'd be looking at 7.75. And then if you factor in some of the increase, further increases that we're expecting with the Fed funds rate, you're looking, you're looking at an operating interest rate if this, uh, if this relationship holds, that's anywhere from nine to nine and a half percent for for ag loans, and and so I, I'm just throwing that out as an example of what that what that uh, relationship would imply. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going there, but if that relationship holds, uh, that's what we would expect to see. And just to clarify, that is through the end of 2022, because yes. there's additional right. The Fed's yeah. expecting another. 100 basis point or 1% increase in the Fed funds rate through 2023. So that means that, you know, we're looking at operating notes in 2023 of being maybe a, another percentage point above that nine to nine and a half, so yeah. 10 to 10 and a half. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that we pay a close attention to is uh, uh, there's various things that you can track for that spread. Uh, you know, the Fed funds rate is one of them, but you can also look at U.S. Treasuries to think about what, you know, a kind of a, a 
a very risk-free asset is is garnering in terms of return out there on the market, especially for banks that that may use the bond markets or other equity markets. Uh, so the three-year U.S. Treasury has seen significant increases. It you know started in 2021, but it's currently above four percent in terms of return for the three-year U.S. Treasury. Now the 30-year U.S. Treasury is still below three percent, so it hasn't risen as much. But the short-term Treasuries for sure have seen pretty significant increases. Uh, in what they are yielding. And I think what's that pointing to is the divergence between short-term and long-term rates, which is really hard to is really hard to figure out because I think there's probably more risk. I don't know if you would agree with this, Brady. I think there's more risk short-term, and so I think that's being factored into the market right now, where particularly in ag with the real estate loans, there's not as much risk long-term. Uh, and, and, so I, and so I think that's being reflected in some of these spreads. Yep. So... Um, one thing I want to discuss here, Michael, and, and I'm sure that this is maybe something a lot of farmers are getting the choice between, is that you know, in, in interest rate environments like this, uh, you, you may, especially if you're buying a piece of land or buying a piece of, of equipment, you may have the choice to put it on a 30-year or 15-year or, or whatever term it is, a fixed rate loan, or you could put it on a variable rate loan. Now, traditionally, fixed rate loans, so let's say you're looking to buy a house right now, um, and the fixed rate, 30-year fixed rate mortgage may be six and a half, seven percent that you get offered by your bank. A variable rate is probably going to be lower than that. It may be six to six and a half, maybe down to uh, five and three quarters. So you're, you're getting a, a discount for taking the variable, but there's going to be a time period in there, whether it be three years or five years, that after a certain amount of time, it will adjust to what the market is at that time. So in three years, it has a, you know, a certain market mechanism built into that loan that it will adjust up or down based on what the, the current market rate is at the time. I think a question that you know I have for you, Michael, is if you're a farmer, let's say you're buying a tractor or a piece of land, um, you know what. Which option, what are the pros, cons here for choosing the fixed rate versus the variable? Is there one that you would favor at this point in time? I think I'm going to, I'm going to kind of a weenie approach here, Brady. I, I think you need to factor these into your net present value calculations both ways. That's what I would suggest is, is, is look, at the, look at the features of the variable rate. Uh, what's the clause in there? How much can it increase you know, down the road? Uh, and, and so on and see what that would imply in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of your, your, your ability to repay the loan, but also do that with a fixed rate. But when it comes, really comes down to this variable and fixed rate, I think it comes down to risk aversion to some extent. Those that are strongly risk averse, I think are going to lean more towards the fixed rate, even though it is more expensive because they don't want to take the chance. Uh, they don't want to take the chance that that, that rate could zoom, zoom up uh, down the road. Uh, and, and so I think risk, risk aversion is also going to be important uh, when, you, when you try to make that decision. Yeah, abs I, I agree with that. I think if someone is risk averse, you're absolutely going to choose the fixed rate. Um, I will say personally, I may be a little less risk averse than other people. I, I think the variable rate starts to become really attractive in a lot of instances. So we just went over the dot plot and, and some of the inflation numbers. You know, you see inflation moderating. Uh, the FOMC board thinks that the Fed funds rate is going to decrease here, you know, for sure starting in 2024 to 2025 timeframe. You know, I, if it's here at the end of 2022, you're buying a piece of equipment and, and the rate adjusts in three years, which would be roughly the end of 2025, I think interest rates are going to be lower. Now, 
you know, obviously, uh, you know, I'm putting this on record here. There's a lot that could happen, right? Uh, we've seen a lot of political discourse in the world. We've seen a lot of supply chain interruptions. You know, so this is, I'm taking a very ceteris paribus or, you know, a status quo approach here to say, you know, the current issues get worked out and we don't have any, any more black swan events where, you know, a, another COVID type situation that, that disrupts the markets. But, you know, I, I think in a, in a status quo world, interest rates will be lower in three years. So I think yeah. it, it could, you know, really help a lot of people take that variably. Yeah. There, there's some upside there that it could go lower. Now, could interest rates go higher? Absolutely. I, I would be very remiss not to say you are taking a risk. The bank is pushing risk on you. But, you know, in, in a status quo world, I just don't think that interest rates will increase that much, you know, given what's going on. Yeah, this is where I, I always fall back on scenario analysis. I think doing some scenario analysis, assuming kind of the most likely, well, my most likely would agree with your most likely. I think interest rates could peak in 23 and then come then moderate at least somewhat, uh, maybe percent. 2% lower uh, in 24, 25, particularly in, in 25. Uh, and so I, I think right now that looks like a, a, a per, you can make a pretty strong case for that if the Fed gets uh, its inflation under control. But does that mean it's going to happen? Not necessarily. And so that, that, that might be one scenario. Do another scenario where, where inflation stays with us longer and, and, and we see the, the uh, more, more upward pressure on those variable rates and, and, and see what that does uh, to, your, to your loan payments. One of the things I, I would like to say uh, you know, related to this variable and fixed notion is we're moving into a different environment. Maybe this is obvious, but we're moving into a different environment, and, and particularly some of the younger people uh, in the audience here have not seen <laughs> the environment we're moving into uh, where we see extremely volatile interest rates and moving away from this, this extremely low interest rate environment uh, we've been under for, for quite some time, and it's going to impact all your decisions. It's not just operating loans. I think that that's the the least uh, the, the least impacted right now because of the very low uh, the the very low uh, debt we have uh, the debt to asset ratio we have I think it's going to become more and more important when we start looking at machinery purchases grain bin purchases and land purchases these higher interest rates are going to have a negative impact uh, on on those investments and that's where the scenario analysis comes in big time. Uh, when you're looking at buying machinery, factor in the chance that you could have uh, you could have substantially higher interest rates. Uh, you'll compare to today. Do the same thing with land, and and we're already seeing that pick up a little bit uh, with the ag economy barometer survey uh, that people are starting to become more concerned. They've seen the increases since the first of the year, and they're saying, "Oh my goodness, this isn't over yet." And it, it really is starting to, to play uh, when you when you talk to people about machinery purchases, grain bin purchases, and land purchases. Yeah, and you know we've said this a lot. Historically speaking, interest rates are still right in line with, yes. with historical averages, but we are doubling or quadrupling from where we were just a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. especially if you've adjusted budgets, it, it it's gonna cause budgets to have to adjust because yeah. you're going to have a higher interest And I go cost. back to something I said earlier, the, the period we've went through the last two or three years, consider that the outlier. That's not the norm. We're not going back. I, I'll repeat it. We're in 24 and 25, we're not going back to 4% operating debt uh, in ag anytime soon. Uh, we're probably not going to stay at 9 to 10, where it looks like we're heading, uh, but we're not going back to 4 anytime soon. And so, and, and so factor that into your budgets and your, and your capital uh, purchases. Yeah, and I just do just want to reiterate, I, I was advocating for variable loans again 
I'm probably a little less risk averse, so please take that into account. Yeah. I, I definitely see your yeah. point, Michael, is that, hey, a, fix, a fixed rate loan, you set it and forget it. You don't, it won't keep you up at night thinking that it's going to go to 12, 13, 14, or, or the 18% that we saw yeah. in the 1980s. But I would be the first one to admit when I bought my first home, I did a fixed rate and the interest rates went down from then. And so uh, because my risk aversion does cost. <laughs> does cost yeah because I, I paid more for interest than, than on that first home than I, I would have had to uh, simply because I wanted to, I wanted to I wanted the guarantee that it was going to stay at a, at a certain rate and, and eliminate that chance that could go up uh, rapidly and so yeah. this is this is it's, it's, this is very difficult to predict right now of all the costs that are in a budget right now uh, I'd even say this uh, I'd even say this uh, with respect to fertilizer of all the costs in our budget right now this interest rate it has the most uncertainty yeah. the biggest band of uncertainty right now well and you know also want to point out if you choose fixed it doesn't necessarily mean you're locked in for the next 30 years you yeah, can yeah, refinance yeah, you now can there's refinance. a there's a hefty cost to that yeah. with a lot of banks uh, so, you know, you, if it goes down enough, it may justify a refinancing package that may be a hassle, but, but it can be done. It doesn't mean you're necessarily locked in for the next 30 years. So, Michael, uh, thinking about, you know, we've talked about farm inputs increasing, inflation, and, and, and the interest costs on a budget a lot. What is, what is this all having in terms of impact to net farm income prospects for 2023? Yeah, I just kind of wanted to kind of uh, end on a positive note here. We've been talking about uh, in, uh, climbing interest rates, and obviously that's very concerning for farmers because we're a very capital, very capital intensive business. Many agribusinesses also are capital intensive, and so when you increase interest rates, it has a large impact. But let's step back here and and just realize that 21 and 22 were really good years uh, for production agriculture. Uh, it's allowed us to, to do some things, uh, uh, you know, buy machinery. Uh, land was bid up considerably partly because of those higher incomes. What does 23 and 24 look like? They don't look as good, uh, but it looks to me like it's more of a return back to the long run average since 2007, uh, which is certainly not necessarily bad news. I, I think it's going to be better. Uh, it looks better right now than that period from 14 to 19. And so uh, and so, even with all this uncertainty we have with these increasing costs, uh, the prices are such right now uh, that 23 does not look like a train wreck. Uh, and, but the, the reason why we keep talking so much about interest rates is you need to make some decisions here. Uh, when you're buying, when you're buying capital items, and when you're doing budgets, you you need to use realistic, realistic interest rates uh, when you're making those decisions. And so we'll 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 continue this conversation three months from now, Brady, when we see what the Fed does uh, in the next couple meetings. Yeah, because that's definitely going to impact what what the interest rates we're talking about will will do. Uh, so with that, that wraps up our discussion today. I just want to remind all the listeners, you can find more farm management news and information at the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website at purdue.edu backslash commercial ag. Uh, you can also find this podcast at all your major podcast carriers. Um, I encourage you to share this with your friends and colleagues. So on behalf of Michael Langmeyer at the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Brady Brewer, and I thank you for listening.